Well, we're grateful for how that God has uh, always blessed us and he continues to um, shine his light upon our path and we are grateful that, uh, you know, God knows the future. So we continue to trust him. We trust God for today and for tomorrow knowing that it's, it's all good. So we're grateful for that. Well, today's message, we're continuing on the um, theme of the Sermon on the Mount and I was thinking of a, a couple of different things, of especially how that Jesus um, presents this sermon, how he presents this discord, um, because it totally goes against what they, the disciples and the followers that have come up to this mountain top to um, be with Jesus. It's kind of just really, it's contrary to what they've been taught and contrary to what they believe. But I was thinking of some of the, um, the uh, your blessed phrases that, we, that we've been going over with Matthew 5. And I, I, I came across Paul's writing, and we'll get to the scripture that I gave you in a couple minutes. But uh, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 10, Paul says, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, if we think about the first initiation of the um, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that they are blessed who realizes they have spiritual poverty. uh, For the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. They are blessed who grieve, for they will be comforted. They are blessed who are humble, for the whole earth will be theirs. They are blessed who hunger and thirst after justice, for they will be satisfied. They are blessed who show mercy to others, for God will show mercy to them. (coughs) So when Paul is talking about this to the church at Corinth, and he's saying that, uh, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses. Okay? So when we start thinking about our weaknesses, we often think of our weaknesses failings, or if I'm not strong in this particular area, then something's wrong with me. <laughs> then Paul's saying, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really delight in my weaknesses because it forces me to have confidence in Christ. It forces me to believe that God has a purpose in what I'm going through and how that God will see us through. And I I think, you know, for us, as we look at our life and we look at at the church and we look at all these things, you know, we have confidence that we are weak in certain areas, but that doesn't mean anything because we need to be confident in God's strength. So God's purpose and God's provision are still the same. So it doesn't, in in some ways, we we have to focus on, not focus on the problems, but we focus on the solution, which is Christ, and how that Christ will see us through. And Paul says, in persecutions and in difficulties, for when I am weak, I am strong. So Paul had come across this, um, well, he had, I don't want to say he came across it, he came to the realization of what Jesus had had, uh, spoken of here on the Sermon on the Mount. For they are blessed who work for peace, for they will be called God's children. They are blessed who are persecuted for doing good, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. You are blessed um, when people insult you and when you hurt, persecuted for, you know, your belief in me. So when Paul now is writing this to the church at Corinth, he is telling the people at uh, Corinth 
that I'm, I have a lot of weaknesses. But in my weaknesses, that's not, that's not the problem. Because in my weaknesses, I find that I have strength in Christ. So when we face difficult situations, when we face um, people and circumstances that aren't treating us right, or your, your life is not is seemingly growing or going the way that you think it should, it's easy then to get frustrated. It's easy then to um, be anxious. But we have to understand that God has a purpose. Even when it seemingly is taking too long or why things don't change the way we expect them to. But the, but the key is just because it's an uncomfortable place doesn't mean it's not where we're supposed to be. Hmm. So when we um, look at ourselves and we look at where we're at, um, rather than, you know, people, we can complain about this and complain about that. And, you know, we, we, we find ways to, reasons to perhaps become upset or discouraged in certain areas of what we see, you know, whether it's in our job or whether it's in our neighbors or whether it's in ourselves or whether it's in school or whether it's in, no matter what we're doing, we find that in our weaknesses, God is there to help us to become strong. So when we pause and say, okay, what are my weaknesses? What are the places that I feel that are just not up to par, well, we need to say, okay, God, you are up to helping me achieve that level in my life. So, <laughs> I'm not going to be upset because things are not happening on a particular timetable. Well, if you can look at this and see how that Paul has the realization of what Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount, is now a realization within the life of Paul, and he's writing it to the church at Corinth, perhaps we need to do that very same thing, have that realization that what is seemingly lacking is that we need to trust God more, that we need to depend upon God's grace and his mercy to help us. Well, when Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is teaching about sexual sins, um, he, is, he is really going against the norm of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes have been teaching. And he's completely, you know, for the, for the people who are listening to him on the, with his Sermon on the Mount, you think about how things have drastically changed in, in, in the, the presentation time with the Blessed are you when, the Beatitudes, whenever you are the salt and the light, and whenever you are, are, you know, when you are, you know, sexual sins, and he said, you know, all these things are like totally new concepts, totally new teachings that the, the followers of Jesus have to suddenly begin to think differently. And I, I was, as you're thinking of these uh, Beatitudes, and you're thinking of Paul's letter, and and how that the scriptures apply to our lives, what, it, what would Jesus, if we were sitting at his feet, at the feet of Jesus on this mount, and he's talking to us, what would he be wanting us to do, to change, to see, to understand? What is it that he would be asking us to do with these, and, and, and this, what would be contrary to our 
popular opinion of ourselves that we've learned or we've passed on or caught from somebody else or whatever it is. We, we need to look at this and say, okay, God, what is it you want me to know? What is it you want me to hear? Well, when Jesus is here in Matthew 5, he's basically speaking on the seventh commandment given to us uh, by Jesus, God gave to Moses uh, on, on the uh, mount, and Jesus is the author of that, and he's now the explainer of it to the disciples. And he's the best one to interpret what these laws that he passed down and what he gave to Moses actually mean. So he is speaking against these laws that are towards these laws that are spoken of as uncleanness, and um, he is speaking of them to lay restraint upon sinful passions and sinful appetites. So the command here is, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the commandment. But the Pharisees, it's interesting how that the Pharisees and their interpretation of the law and this exposition of the law made it to extend no further than the act of adultery. So they were suggesting that if they, um, uh, if they had iniquity in their heart, it didn't matter because God could not hear it, and he would not regard it. <laughs> it's like, wait, what's this? That the Pharisees looked at this law, do not commit, you know, not to commit adultery, and they said, well, if we're not, if the, someone's not having an actual act of sexual sin, then there's no sin involved. And so they were telling, uh, they would tell the people that it doesn't matter what's in your mind and in your heart. While the people were governed then by these traditions that were taught by the Pharisees and the scribes, and um, they took their instructions from these uh, Pharisees as if they were the instructions from God. So here's Jesus telling them, okay, guys, um, if you have heard it said you must not be guilty of adultery, I tell you that if anyone looks at a woman and wants to sin sexually with her lustfully in his mind, he has already done that sin. Well, to the people he's speaking to, they'd never heard that. You know, what goes on in your heart is really not, doesn't count. It only, it only what you do. And what Jesus is saying, you know, just like whenever we spoke about thou shalt not murder, well, Jesus says, if, you've, if you're angry with someone and bitter, you've committed that in your heart. And so Jesus is helping us to go further into who we are as a person because whenever we realize we are weak, we need his strength. <laughs> so the same thing with our, um, in this case, with the sexual and moral conduct he is looking and presenting the same idea that blessed are those who recognize their weakness in, a, in an area because then they will ask God for help. So there is, no, there is such a thing as heart adultery. So that's what Jesus is bringing up here with this, um, with this message that he's putting before the people. And um, which... This heart adultery actually is what precedes the act of adultery or fornication. And he says, whoever looks on a woman, not only another man's wife, but any woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, that's Matthew 5, 28. 
Now, I was thinking of the story where Jesus is uh, in Matthew chapter, uh, no, John chapter 8, where the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery is brought to Jesus. And uh, when Jesus was, he went up to the Mount of Olives, and when he came back early in the morning, he went back to the temple, and all the people came to him and sat and taught there, and Jesus taught them. The teachers of the law, the scribes, the experts in the law of Moses, and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. They forced her to stand before the people. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught having sexual relations with a man who is not her husband. The law of Moses commands that we should stone to death every woman who does this. What do you say? So here, this was a trick by the Pharisees. Knowing that Jesus has been, you know, trying to teach, he is teaching love and forgiveness and compassion, and they're trying to set him up as having um, a disagreement with the law. Well, Jesus can't disagree with the law because he gave the law. He is the law, and he is the fulfillment of the law. And so he's trying to <laughs> reach these individuals who are steeped in their traditions of, you know, do what I've always done and everything is fine with me and God. And Jesus is this guy who's coming along and he's messing up our entire religion. So what do you say? But Jesus bent over and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they continued to ask Jesus their questions, he raised up and said, Anyone here who has never sinned can throw the first stone. And then he bent down and began to write again. Now, we see how the interpretation of this law, and, and it's, it's, you know, for those of you who maybe not caught it, this is the woman who was caught in the very act of having, uh, being immoral with a, you know, who is, with a man who's not her husband. Where's the guy? <laughs> Ladies, you should, oh, where's that guy at that was there? Well, he, he doesn't count. It's not his fault. It's the woman's fault. You never heard that before, huh? But, uh, but the idea is that the, the law was prescribed for, they had interpreted the, the law to the point it was always the woman. You know, even back with the, the witch trials of uh, up in Massachusetts, Salem, you know, it was always women. And, 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 they, and it wasn't the man's fault because the woman bewitched him. So it's not my fault. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, hold on here, you know, it's both. It is we're equally responsible for our hearts, our heart actions. And, and he isn't saying that, okay, stone them all, teach them a lesson. No, he says, forgive them. And he, you know, it goes back to the idea that if you've never sinned, okay, you can stand in judgment and throw the first stone. And in our lives, we need to don't be stoning yourself to death because you have a wrong thought. In our weakness, we are made strong. So no matter what our weakness is, we need to ask Christ for the strength to overcome this. So the command forbids not only the act of fornication and adultery, but the appetite 
or the um, sense of need that we have in our life to ask for God's grace and his mercy to uh, keep us from these situations. So doesn't matter who we are, man or woman, that all lusting after the forbidden object is the beginning of sin. The lusting is the beginning of sin, and so we need to catch ourselves and catch the, the situation so that we don't go on. It's like setting it up. It's the commission of sin uh, as far as the heart is concerned. Whenever we are in this wanton desire, it's like we've set out a commission. Let's, let's, let's start this in motion so we can get to or get to. It ends up going to the acts of whatever. So in here, whenever we're looking at this, Jesus goes on to say, um, if your right eye causes you to, sum, to sin or to stumble. So he, he's, not, he's looking at not only heart adultery, but heart that would be coveting or the heart that would go after things that don't belong to you. Uh, if you would steal, if your eye sees it, and your hand does it, you need to cut them off. That's what he's going to tell us in these next verses, that if your eye is seeing things that you are coveting and that you want to have and you're willing to go after it, it's a heart desire that's going in the wrong direction. So not only does the heart desire go into uh, fornication and adultery, but the heart desire can go into wanting things that don't belong to you. So, and it says, if your hand, so if your right eye causes you to sin, take it out and throw it away. It is better to lose one part of your body than the whole, have the whole body thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go to hell. It is um, a severe <laughs> operation, <laughs> plucking the eye and cutting the hand off. And, and then, you know, if your eye cannot be controlled, it's, you know, you need to catch it and do away with it because in our weakness, in our weakness, we are made strong. That in the weakness of our character, some people don't have a, have a problem in, in their eye and looking at the wrong, wrong things. Some people don't have that problem. Well, other, they may have another problem that they find themselves weak in. So God is saying to us in this, in this text that we all, have, we all have weaknesses and we are, and Paul caught the same thing in saying, we need God's strength. We need his strength, his grace, his mercy to be with us. If your right hand offends you, Cut it off. Well, if your right hand, I was thinking of what are things that we do with our hand? You know, I was thinking of um, gambling or stealing or I'm sure there are other things. But uh, that when people are under the influence, you have the heart desire, the heart desire, then the eye looks and the hand takes. <laughs> and Jesus says, don't do this. Because 
when the heart desires and the eye looks and the hand searches, we're setting ourselves up to destroy who we are as a person. And God doesn't want us to be destroyed for who we are. He wants us to be built up. And so um, they will not be withheld um, from the restraint. It's as, it's, it's as if our eye will not withhold itself from, or restrain itself from looking or the hand will not restrain itself from taking. And so there is something better than plucking out your eye and cutting off your hand. The better way is the grace of God and the mercy of God. So we are asking then for God in his constant grace and mercy to watch over our hearts. Remember when it says that we are to guard our hearts and minds? That the Bible tells us to garrison your heart. Protect your heart. Protect your heart with the word of God and with the grace of God and the spirit of God. Protect who you are. Protect your heart's desires so that you don't have, you know, when we recognize wrong desires, we have a protection. We have a garrison. We have guards around our hearts and our minds, which is the word of God, which is the grace of God, which is the word of God. And so the word of God is alive and active. And so as our desires can desire the lust can be uh, trying and searching for being alive and active we have the word of god which is alive and active and protects our hearts and our minds so we seek god for his grace we seek god for his spirit and and depend upon the grace of god daily and so that we walk in the spirit if we walk in the spirit we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh so we will walk in the spirit of Christ so that our heart's desire will be God's desire. Our, what we look and what we touch and, and reach for is God's desire for us to have. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So speaking the word of God and speaking the fulfillment of what God wants to do in our life. That's why um, if we do not fulfill or if we do not declare what we desire from God, pray for, ask for, believe for God's provision, we are searching for those things, desiring God, desiring, searching after the heart of God. The psalmist says that um, in Psalm 1, as the heart, is it the, no, it's not Psalm 1, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so um, pants my soul after thee, and the heart is the, uh, a deer. As the deer panteth after the water brook, so does my soul pant after you. So there is a, see how desire can work both ways? As we, our heart's desire follow, to follow God, it finds fulfillment and it finds the water. As a deer panteth after the water, so pants my soul after you, O God. There is this desire for, and how that the desire for God or the desire for something that is, and God says don't commit adultery, it's like, don't let your heart go in that direction. Well, then he goes on to say, verse 31, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a written divorce paper. Now, I, I, I read this, I came across this, I wanted to read it. It says, according to biblical law, a man is permitted to divorce his wife at will. 
She burns supper. You're out of here, woman. <laughs> and, but I'm not kidding. That was about it. But he, they, what he said there is, you have, to, you have to write her a letter and you have to get it confirmed, meaning that you can't allow a circumstance to arise and you divorce your wife. You have, it has to go through a whole process. So giving her a written paper is slowing the process down. But anyhow, I'll go on. Um, the second aspect highlights biblical women's vulnerability, economic, physical, psychological, uprooting forced or faces the woman to uh, for, face the woman who displeased her husband sufficiently to cause him to divorce her. She had no leverage to prevent or refuse the divorce, neither could she divorce him. So at the time when Jesus is telling them this, you know, about your heart's desire and divorce, and, and you know, the law was saying <laughs> there's, there's only physical act of immorality, and a woman can be divorced and set off, sent out, if you give her a piece of paper, okay? Now Jesus is coming and saying, no, that's not what, it, that's not what the law was given for. Now, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife forces um, her to commit guilty of adultery. The only reason for a man to divorce his wife is if she is, has sexual relations with another man. And anyone who marries that divorced woman is guilty of and commits adultery. So how the matter now stood with reference to divorce is that it was, it was basically it was just the woman could just be dismissed. And Jesus is saying, there's more to your relationship than just dismissing someone. There's more to this whole idea. So um, how this matter was re uh, re rectified and amended by our Savior, he reduced the ordinance of marriage to its primitive institution. He says, the two shall be one flesh, not to be easily separated, and therefore divorce is not to be allowed, except... And he goes on to talk about those things. So whenever we see that our life is, our life together is purposeful. And our life means more than just keeping rules and regulations. That two people become one. And so as we're looking at our life and how that God is the one who is protecting our hearts and our minds, how would Jesus explain to us our concepts and our regulations of what we um, adhere to in the church and what we adhere to in our lives? And I'm sure that what our society dictates and how that it's changed is, is far from what the truth would be like the the Jesus sitting down with the disciples and the followers on the mountain and telling them, this is what the law says, but this is what I meant. And in uh, the psalmist, he says, Praise the Lord, you his angels, ye mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. So how does Jesus explain all of this? How would Jesus work in our lives? Did you know that when you speak words of faith, angels are dispatched to move on your behalf? And we spoke about this on, I think, on Wednesday night. Wasn't it Wednesday night we talked about angels? 
Yeah. And at that, we, we look at our own life, and rather than being caught up with what we see and the heart adultery, what the hand looks for to take, we are caught up with the relationship that we have with Jesus, and we are caught up with our prayer, and we're caught up with the things of seeking that which is right in the eyes of God and seeking that which God would bless us with. And, and the psalmist here is saying, when we pray, God sends his angels to be with us. So we're not in this alone. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will. You see, when we find, Paul says, when I am weak, I find strength. So rather than setting up rules and regulations that, you know, throw us out of the kingdom, put us on, we're, we're, we're in the wrong path, we're not going to make this, we're not going to live this, we can't be this, we can't. We need to look at what Christ is telling us, that we are his and he is ours, and somehow we're going we're to find our way through all of this, and we're going to find God there explaining and teaching and walking and guiding us through these difficulties. So God hears us declare his word over our life. And when he hears us declaring his word over our life, his spirit, the angels, the Holy Spirit, the word of God come to us not to, you know, we can't be the Pharisees and the scribes ready to stone ourselves with mistakes. We need to listen to Jesus as he writes on the ground, stands up. Anybody who doesn't sin or hasn't sinned, you can throw the first stone. So it isn't that we fail, it's that we don't have to stone ourselves to death with our failures. We need to find forgiveness and wisdom and guidance for the life that we have now and where we're going. See, I like, I like it when he says, it's as, as if God is saying to the angels, did you, hear my, did you hear my child praying? Did you hear my son, my daughter praying? Go help that woman. <laughs> Go help that man. He's declaring the angels. Get down there. Go. You're a messenger. I'm telling you, I'm sending you with a message of hope and restoration. I'm sending you a message of love and forgiveness. I send that message to them. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. So rather than seeing ourselves being set up to be stoned, we see ourselves being aided by the angels of God coming to walk with us, to protect us, and that we have the faith of God and the blessing of God. So you see, that's why it's important to guard our hearts and our minds with the word of God. We need to guard who we are, this person. Guard our garrison, put walls of protection, not separation and being a cell. The person who, who, who builds walls generally puts himself in a cell. <laughs> but the person who garrisons and protects the, the armor of God is for going forward in our faith. 
And going forward in our declaration of love and forgiveness and grace and mercy, and the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he will quicken your mortal bodies. Quick God, the Holy Spirit will quicken our mortal bodies. And what did he say here? The eye, cut it out, pluck it out. The hand, cut it off. Why? Because there is heart adultery. But he says here, if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead will quicken you, he will restore your mortal. Don't fall trap to the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh. Don't fall prey to those things, but stir up the gifting that is within you. For in your weakness, you're going to find strength. <laughs> you see? And you see, and it will come to us, you know, that the spirit who raised up Christ Jesus from the dead will restore to life your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. It is the Holy Spirit who dwells in us that is going to help us not pluck out the eye, not cut off the hand, not partake in heart adultery, that the Spirit of God is going to protect us and help us to look in the right places, to do the right things, to have the right heart approach to our life and to our relationships with people and those around us. Amen? Let's stand. I think of it in, uh, if God demands such action from the law and from the intention of the heart, what would Jesus be teaching us by his spirit? He would be teaching us about his grace. He'd be teaching us about the solid foundation upon which we stand, the character of God. He would be teaching us that I'll never leave you nor forsake you in your weakness I am there to give you strength. Don't pick up stones to stone yourself or others. Let them lie. Let God forgive. Let him restore. Let him guide you. Father, we thank you that you've heard our prayers. And Lord, you know our frailties and you know our shortcomings. And Lord, we know that you are with us to see us through every difficulty. So Lord, we thank you that you are our savior. You are the one who walks beside us. You are the light to our path. You, O oh Lord, are our heart's desire. Let us, O oh Lord, be moved by your spirit, by your compassion and love, by your forgiveness, your friendship. God, we thank you. You've heard our prayers. And Lord, you walk with us as one with, as a friend in the cool of the evening, as you did with Adam and Eve in the garden. Thank you. You walk with us as our friend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Amen. <laughs>